Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. In fact, I'm going to talk Jacksonville quarterbacks. Yes, I said quarterbacks. Plural, with an S. Because apparently that's how Urban Meyer wants things to go. Never mind that they drafted Trevor Lawrence with the first pick. Never mind that Lawrence is regarded as the greatest pro prospect in years. Herb wants you to know he's got a couple of quarterbacks and he's got a quarterback competition. The depth chart that was released before the exhibition season opener has Trevor Lawrence or Gardner Minshew as the starter. I said or. And if you think that that was an accident or you think that that was a typo, that appeared to indicate that the starter could be one of those two guys. Meyer had even more today. That's no typo, apparently. Michael DeRocco, who covers the team for ESPN, tweeted, quote, Jaguars coach Urban Meyer said, Team will determine tonight who will start a QB in Saturday's preseason opener against Cleveland. Gardner Minshew and Trevor Lawrence will both play, Meyer said. End of quote. All right. Okay. Whatever you say, Herb, your team. But there's more. Three minutes later, the same reporter tweeted, quote, Jaguars coach Urban Meyer said it's an open competition between QBs, Trevor Lawrence, and Gardner Minshew to start the season opener against Houston. End of quote. And that's it. Now we're done. Now I'm done. Now I'm done. There are dumb ideas, and then there's that. And that might be one of the dumbest ideas I've ever heard. An open competition between Trevor Lawrence and Gardner Minshew. A question about who is going to start the season opener against Houston. I mean, are you kidding me about that? And don't get me wrong. You know I love Gardner Minshew. Love this cat. Great personality. Hell of a character. Dude's fun. He's a battler. He's a gamer. He's a baller. But you can try and tell me there's an open competition between Trevor Lawrence and Gardner Minshew. The hell is that? Other than an absolute lie. I mean, seriously, the hell is that? Because you know what that smells like? Maybe it's just me. And maybe I'm the one who's getting a whiff of this. Maybe it's just me. But that smells like some college bullcrap, doesn't it? It sure sounds like the kind of thing that might fly in Gainesville, but not Jacksonville. You run that out there in Columbus, and everybody's like, freaking herb. Man, what a genius. The ultimate motivator. You try that in the NFL, and it just seems really amateurish. Like, nobody's ever said that Urban Meyer's not a great coach. He is. He really is. He is one of the greatest football coaches ever. Seriously, he is that good. Nobody questions that. The question, though, is what was going to happen when he got to the NFL? And would he be able to take that style and make it work in the NFL? Would he be able to adapt to the NFL game and coach grown-ass men and not teenagers? We've seen a lot of other great college coaches try to bring their style and their system to the NFL only to have the NFL punch them in the face. So, could he adapt and reinvent or would his act be way too college for the NFL? Like this guy rolling out and saying that there's an open competition for starting quarterback between the first pick overall and an alleged generational talent and a former sixth round pick sounds like one of the most college things ever. I mean, who the hell are you trying to convince with that herb? And the hell is the point? Don't you have more important things to be doing with your time than coming up with some fake quarterback competition? I mean, that's corny as hell. This is the NFL, not college. And this guy's out here doing some Jim Zorn, hip-hip, hooray, bullcrap. Bringing in Tim Tebow is a backup tight end. And glorified cheerleader cannot believe how goofy it is to claim that there's an open competition between Lawrence and Minshew. Look, I know that Herb wants to set a tone where everybody is competing for everything every second of the day. But Trevor Lawrence is not competing with Gardner Minshew for the starting job. At least he shouldn't be. And if he is, if there really is a legitimate competition between these two guys, then I guess Trevor Lawrence is not who we thought he was. And this whole Urban Meyer to Jacksonville project is not what we thought that was. 
I mean, what do you get from running with that junk about an open competition between these two guys? Because nobody's buying it. So why are you wasting your time, their time, and our time with this? You didn't leave that cushy gig in the media to go coach the jockstrap king in Jacksonville. You did it to coach Trevor Lawrence. What, is Doug Marone going to compete with you for the head coaching job? Of course not. And Minshew's not going to compete with Lawrence for the QB1 job. I mean, why stop there, right? Why stop with an open competition between Minshew and Lawrence? Why not get your buddy TRT some reps? Maybe he can drop some of those fancy jump passes on NFL defenses. Oh, and by the way, if this is some sort of phony obstacle that you're putting in Lawrence's path to make sure that everybody knows that he won the starting job and that he didn't have at the moment that he was drafted. I mean, because the truth is, he had at the moment he was drafted. And just because you want to create a fake quarterback competition doesn't mean there really was one. And creating this fake competition is not going to make the rest of the locker room respect Lawrence more than they otherwise would. The only impact on respect here would be players losing respect for the head coach for coming up with this corny competition and trying to make it out to be something that it's really not anyway. Oh, and one more thing. Don't come in here and tell me that you're doing this to boost Minshew's trade value. He's entering his third year in the league. There is plenty of tape on this guy already. He's already started 20 games. Teams have a very good sense of who he is, and there's nothing he could show in an exhibition game against Houston that would boost that trade value. So what I'm saying is, this does not make Trevor Lawrence look better. It doesn't make Gardner Minshew look or feel better. All it does is make Herb look amateurish and clownish. I mean, it doesn't mean that he or they are going to fail. But I will say this, if it doesn't work out and he does bomb out in Jacksonville, everybody is going to be pointing to stuff like TRT at TE and an open competition at quarterback. That's what everybody will point to. So it better work out because if it doesn't, it'll be because of stuff like that. You know, I really did miss starting the program with takes on Jacksonville, except back in the day when I did it, it was for all the right reasons. Not the wrong ones. Those kinds of reasons. 1-800-636-8686. Hey, Trevor, good luck in that quarterback competition. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. Now, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing because of all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations do apply. He's a good friend of the program. He is Jim Trotter. Jim, what's going on? How are you? What up, Romy? I think I'm a wannabe Peloton legend. No, you're not, dude. You're an absolute Peloton legend. What are your <laughs> What are your rides like right now? What are the rides like? Uh, it's you know what. Now that we're back traveling for camp and whatnot, um, unfortunately they're not as regular. Uh, some of the hotels haven't had them, but. You know, look, at my age, I just kind of follow my body's lead. And whatever I'm feeling, I try not to push too hard. So rides could be anywhere from 20 minutes to 70 minutes. Um, It just depends. And if I feel good, I'll go longer. If I don't, I listen to it. And and, um, and that's it, Romy. Just trying to stay kind of healthy during this pandemic. Dude, preach. That is perfectly said, Jim. You got to listen to your body. I was just having the same conversation. That's code for, man, we're getting old. But we've got, oh. <laughs> got to try and stay in the fight, man. You know, Father Time's undefeated. All right, so you're out and about, Jim, right now. You're visiting camps. I had Jonathan Jones on the program earlier this week. We talked about how good it was, or he did, to be on the road and actually see people and talk to people face-to-face. What's that been like for you, Jim? It's tremendous. You know, last season, uh, the first two weeks, I went up to L.A. to, you know, the opening of SoFi Stadium and caught the Rams opener and then the Chargers opener. And not having fans in the stands it just wasn't the same vibe for me i I just couldn't get into it and then not having any access to go down and talk face to face with coaches with players um with owners uh it just it was it was sort of unnerving in a way and and we had a discussion internally and i I, you know i said to my boss it just doesn't make sense 
for us to go out on the road and attend these games and sit in an empty or in a press box and do post-game interviews by Zoom from, you know, an empty stadium. And so, you know, we stopped traveling at that point. So, you know, just for instance, yesterday I was in Arizona. And so to meet face-to-face with J.J. Watt and A.J. Green and Brinston Buckner and those guys, um, it's just invaluable. So for me, I, I couldn't be happier. I just hope that everyone starts listening to, you know, um, the scientists and the medical people and, and that hopefully we don't have, you know, this thing trending in the wrong direction for very long. I agree with that, too. Jim Trotter is joining us. In addition to that time, Jim, I know you spent some time with the Browns. I'm kind of curious, like, what was the feeling and the vibe around that team, the overall vibe in that camp and the Browns? Yeah, Romy, the expectations are extremely high. I mean, look, you know, they snapped a 17-season playoff drought last season. They brought back virtually everyone on offense, and they made tremendous upgrades on defense. So, There's a level of expectation there. But, you know, this is what's funny about our business. You know, the Browns were one of the feel-good stories last year because we know, you know, they have one of the best fan bases in the NFL, and and those fans have been hungry for a winner for some time. But no sooner do they make the playoffs, and what do we start hearing? Well, we hear the Browns were the eighth team in the Super Bowl era to break a playoff drought of 14 or more seasons. And then they tell you, oh, the previous seven, none of them made the playoffs the following year. Or, you know, the Browns were the seventh team in the last five seasons to make the playoffs with a negative point differential. Oh, the previous six all missed the playoffs the following season. So when I asked Kevin Stefanski, the head coach, if he was going to use that kind of narrative to his advantage, he said, of course. He said, look, I've already told the players, we've got to get a lot better. We were actually a third-place team in our in our division last year, so there's a lot of room for improvement but when you look at these guys on paper, when you see them in person, there's no question that, that this team is built to make a playoff run if it can stay healthy. We're talking to Jim Trotter, no doubt, right? And in terms of staying healthy, the players, they return a lot of guys, Jim, as you point out, and you get Jadavian Clowney. What do you make of the combination of Clowney and Miles Garrett? It's tremendous. And, and it's not just that, Jim. If you look at them defensively, they potentially could have nine new starters, which is unheard of for not only a playoff team, but a non-playoff team, that you would have that many changes on one side of the ball. And um, when you talk to those guys out there, what you hear is that this thing has come together a lot quicker than they thought because these, first of all, are very intelligent players. They have high football IQs. And so everybody has been in their playbook, you know, all offseason to the point where when they get on the field for their first padded practice, defensively, they're disrupting the offense to where it can't function um, at a high level. And as, as Kevin Stefanski said to me, they were making life hell for the offense. And that's a positive at this point where you're talking about so many new players who are disrupting a really talented offense. But what was interesting to me is that when I talked to Miles Garrett and asked him, you know, how long does it take to jail to make all these new faces work? And he said, we won't know until we get into real games and we're faced with adversity. He goes, Will guys stop communicating? Will guys have this look of, oh, here we go? Or will they continue to communicate and make plays when there's a sudden change, that sort of thing? And he said, if we address that in that way where it's positive and we're communicating and everyone is still working together, he goes, that's when I will know that we have gelled. In the meantime, on paper, he'll tell you they have the chance for something special here. For him in particular, because now he has an impactful player on the opposite side of him to compliment him in Jadavian Clowney. And so teams are going to have to pick their poison. They can't just slide their protections to, to Miles Garrett all the time. But what's fascinating to me as well is Joe Woods, the defensive coordinator, told me, we're not just going to line them up on opposite sides. There'll be times where they'll be lined up next to each other. We're going to create mismatches on that opposing offensive line and create opportunities for other guys so when you look at those two when you look at Malik Jackson who who Joe Woods knows from his time in Denver and a guy who worked really well with Von Miller he's a guy that can create opportunities on the inside from the inside so they're really high and and lastly look we know the rush and the secondary work hand in hand well it's arguable now that the Browns have the deepest secondary in the NFL if they stay healthy when you talk about Denzel Ward you go out and you get a Greg Newsom um, the second in the draft you got Greedy Williams coming back after missing all of last season with an injury. You got Grant Delpit coming back this year after missing all of last season. Then you go out and you take two defensive backs from the number one ranked defense, you know, and Josh Johnson and and and, and T Hill. So 
um, they're loaded on paper, and it's just going to be interesting to see how they put it all together. It goes without saying, I love all this talk about America's team. Jim Trotter, my guest. Hey, Jim, before you go, I want to ask you about the Saints. I know you spent some time there as well, and Drew Brees is not there for the first time ever. You made the point that Jameis Winston is trying to be Drew Brees 2.0. What do you mean by that, and how do you think he'll show up this season? What I mean by that, um, Romeo, is that Jameis, went to school last year with Drew. And by that, I mean he studied everything about him, how he prepared, how he communicated, how he led, how he worked, all those sorts of things. And so when you talk to Jameis, what he does is he will consistently give you lessons that he learned from Drew. One being Jameis was always known as a gunslinger. And one of the things that Drew told him is, you don't always have to go for the big play. He said, stop being results-oriented and be decision-oriented, meaning if the play isn't there and you see where the read is taking, you feel comfortable checking down, those sorts of things. Um, Jameis said that's something he had to really take to heart because he was always looking for the big play, those sorts of things. The other thing, you look at this offseason, Jameis comes out to San Diego, why? To work with Drew Brees' trainer. You know, So everything that he is doing at this point, he's trying to incorporate the lessons that he learned from Drew. Doesn't mean he's going to be Drew, but if he can, he can apply some of those lessons, it means that he can be a much better quarterback. And I tend to think that Jameis is going to do well this year based on what I know of him, what I know of Sean Payton and that coaching staff in terms of how they prepare players, how they design the offense specific to that quarterback's skill set and what he does best. So for me, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of bullish on Jameis this year. I'm really bullish on him. I'm extremely bullish on Jameis this year. He is a reporter and a storyteller for NFL Media. He, again, is a Hall of Fame voter. If you have not read the book, it's an incredible book. He's the author of Junior Seau, The Life and Death of a Football Icon. Jim Trotter, my guest. Jim, appreciate the time. Always great to visit with you. Thanks so much for that. No, Romy, always a pleasure, man. Stay safe out there. To me, like this story is amazing. It's both topical and amazing. Amazing news. And it's amazing because it's not fake news. It's 100% real. 100% legit. What I'm about to tell you is true. It's not a joke. It's not a prank. It's not a bit. It's not a hoax. It's not a setup. It's a real thing. This is actually happening. And to me, it's incredible. J.R. Smith, and this is why I'm doing this early in the program. This would normally be like an hour three topic. Like, I want to get to Dak Prescott. That's newsworthy. If something is going on with Dak, and it might involve an MRI, and it does, that should be right near the top, right? Yet, I'm going to skip right over that to get to this, because J.R. Swish. J.R. Swish. That J.R. Swish. J.R. Smith. Or J.R. Smith. J.R. Smooth. J.R. Legend. He is going back to college. Now, if you remember way back in 04... JR jumped straight to the association after he ripped co-MVP of the McDonald's All-American game. Remember that? He was supposed to wind up playing for Roy Williams in North Carolina. Now, 17 years later, apparently he is going to attend North Carolina A&T, the HBCU, right up the road in Greensboro. This is not speculation. This is not a rumor. This is not even a fever dream. This is a verifiable fact. An NCANT spokesman confirmed this week that JR is already enrolled in school. But that's not all. It's not even the half of it, really, because JR Swish has petitioned the NCAA for eligibility to join the golf team. And there's nothing to think about here, NCAA. You give this dude his eligibility, and you give it to him right now. The biggest question you all should be facing is not, will we let him play? But rather, are we going to let this guy play shirtless? Because I'm here for that, too. The more you dig in on this thing, the better it gets. Him going back to college, well, not even back to college, but to college, is incredible. Him going to college to play college golf is even better. And still it gets better as you dig. Now, if you're asking yourself, how did this even happen? The answer itself does not disappoint. Ray Allen kind of convinced me we had a little golf trip in uh, DR. And he was talking about some of the things he was doing about going back to school and challenging yourself and stuff uh, for us athletes. And uh, I really took heed to it and decided to go back. And um, I want to 
one of the best liberal studies programs at ANC, and it just so happens I got deep roots in Carolina with you know Chris Ball and CJ Paul. And um, after that, it was just you know things started trickling down, just trying to figure out if I still got eligibility, so see what's going on there. And uh, but more importantly, just try to educate myself, do something after basketball. Uh, they always told me I could go back whenever uh, when I was coming out of high school, so this is whenever for me. This is so good. This is so, so good. Now, I know a lot of you have strong opinions about this dude. Strong, negative opinions. Strong, negative, incorrect opinions. Yeah, I know he should have shot the damn ball in game one of the 18 finals. I know. Believe me, I know. I understand that he was a volume chucker who drove a lot of you self-proclaimed basketball purists crazy. I'm more than aware of that. I understand this. But I was never about any of that. And I think you can see why now. There was always a lot more to this dude than running around, chucking it up without a shirt on all the time. Or turning his shirtless, tattooed torso into an actual t-shirt. I don't really care about that. Actually, I do care about that. That torso t-shirt thing was actually genius. In fact, if the crusty bags running the NCAA say that he can't play golf, and he can't play golf shirtless... I want to see this guy out there on the links in a collared version of that shirt. Like, name and likeness, right? Pay this guy. Let this guy have his eligibility. Let him play and make sure you pay him. But somehow, some way, this still gets even better. Because if you're tempted to try to spoil the joy here with some hardcore golf nerd questions like, how long has he even been playing? What's this guy's number anyway? How serious is any of this? I mean, if you're here to hate and you're here to wreck good things, my man's got that covered too. Here he is explaining his current handicap and exactly how he learned the game. And listen closely. Uh, right now I'm a five. Um, it's not where I wanted to be yet. So playing with Coach and uh, some of the guys on the team has been, has been getting helpful. I started playing about 12 years ago. Um, the late Moses Malone taught me how to play. So... Uh, down in Houston, I was working out with John Lucas and during the summer times and stuff like that. So it was, uh, it's been, it's been a journey. Have you picked a major then? Yeah, a liberal major? studies. And you're going to start August 16th as your first class. Uh, 18th, I think. 18th. Yeah. So ready for that? Yeah, it's been a long time since I've been in school, so um, I'm excited though. It's new challenges. I get to really uh, buckle in. I got number free time now, and uh, you know, between my man's locked in. I love this. Now, if I'm processing all of this correctly. Our dude was taught the game, golf, by Moses freaking Malone. Who was his swing coach? Daryl Dawkins? I love this. Moses Malone taught him golf. And he's going to try college golf by a recommendation from Ray Allen. And my man name-checked one of my favorite guys ever in John Lucas. I love Luke. I mean, we got a backstory here. And what a great attitude about getting back in the classroom. And notice that wasn't like just him kind of talking out his backside. He can tell you what his major is. He can tell you exactly what he's going to start, why he's doing it. My man is out here embracing a challenge, trying to better himself after basketball. Man, it feels, it feels, I don't know, it just feels so right. Going back to college in HBCU and trying to play some golf a game he loves that was taught to him by Moses Malone. Man, this has always been a freaking banger. But it's never slapped so hard as it's slapping right now. That 10-foot putt. Yes! I can't wait for the updated version of that song. We need a golf sequel right now. Oh, and by the way, top 75 on my list, this song. For sure. Listen, I was hoping for a JR comeback this year as well. Remember back in December, he started trending on social media after the NBA announced that it would no longer be testing for pot? Kind of unfair, but that also got my hopes up. But I could not have expected this. Like, this is so much better than him joining back up with LeBron's geriatric Lakers to sit on the end of a bench for another run in a ring. He already has a couple of rings. What he doesn't have is a college education. 
And what he really wants to be doing is bettering himself and playing some golf. I love it. So now the show's got a favorite college linksman right about now. As long as those old, crusty bags in Indy don't screw this up for everybody. Give this man his eligibility. Get North Carolina A&T golf matches on my TV. I could not be more here for all of this. J.R. Swish equals J.R. Sticks. I had no idea my guy liked golf that much. Just when you think you know a guy, then this. This is literally the greatest J.R. revelation since we found out that the Henny God hated Henny. Remember I don't that? Even drink Henny, bro. I don't. Wait, wait I got some. You I don't got drink Henny Jack in there, though. I you don't drink Henny Jack? No, it's not my <laughs> bro. Incredible. Keep doing you, Sticks. Keep doing you. Oh, and heads up to the coach or any of your North Carolina A&T teammates. It's a good dude now. One of the best dudes. But you do not want to get on the wrong side of JR. You get on JR's bad side while he's eating a bowl of chowder or minestrone or miso or chicken noodle or split pea. Look the hell out. My man, I'm proud of you, dude. Travis Schlank is my guest. Travis, great to have you back. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing today, sir? Good, good, good. Good. So you and I spoke back in June before the start of the Eastern Conference Finals, and I know the season may not have ended the way that you would have liked, but if you take a moment and you look back at that great, great run, I'm curious, what kind of thoughts and memories do you have? Well, you know, certainly it was a great experience for our young group. You know, we, we've got a very young team. Um, this past off season, we sprinkled in some veterans to, you know, give us some experience. Um, and, you know, our objective last year was, you know, get into the playoffs. Um, you know, obviously we were able to achieve that goal, but once we got there, you know, we had a lot of our young guys step up. Um, you know, they didn't become overtaken by the moment, and, and they thrived. So that, that's obviously really encouraging encouraging for us moving forward you know I want to talk about that in a minute and the way some of the young guys did step up and really embrace that big stage in that moment I did want to ask you I thought you made a pretty interesting point a few weeks back when you said that the run reminded you of the run that Golden State first made in 2013 what was it that reminded you about that 2013 run and what did you see in your team that reminded you of that well, there there were a lot of similarities. I think you know that was the first time in um, 2013 that you know Steph and Clay and Draymond, Harrison Barnes, those guys made the playoffs that year um, as the sixth seed um, and were able to knock off a very good Denver team in the first round. Um, you know, obviously they ran into the Spurs in the second round, and you know we had some injuries. Um, so this year's team, you know, same thing. You know, we go on the road. You know, we play in a very hostile environment of Madison Square Garden. You are able to win that series. Um, had some, had a, you know, a little luck go our way in the second round where Joel Embiid was on one leg. Um, but, you know, you need a little luck in the playoffs to advance. And then obviously we ran into the eventual champs in, in Milwaukee. So I just think the fact that a group of young guys, their first time together, able to experience some, sex, some success in the postseason, uh, you know, reminded me of that. 2013 run. Travis Schlank joining us. You know, you and I have spoken about Trey Young a number of times over the years. In terms of your evaluation process for him coming out of college and the potential that you saw in him, we've talked about that. But what did he show you in the way that he delivered in the postseason, especially when it came to playing through pain and leading from the front? Yeah, I think what, you know, you saw this year really was the growth of Trey and, you know, really trusting his teammates. You know, there were times um, this season, you know, when Coach McMillan would go to put him back in the game and, you know, Lou Williams would have it going and, and Trey would be like, no, let him, let him go. You know, he's got it going. So, you know, not just Trey, all our young guys, um, you know, there was kind of this perception that they were all playing for their stats, not necessarily winning, you know, in past seasons. And, you know, this year I think what you saw is, all those guys realizing that on any given night, because of the depth we have on our roster, you know, anybody can go out there and get 20. And as long as we get the win, you know, it doesn't matter who's out there getting, getting the 20 points. And you mentioned Nate. You also removed the interim tag from Nate McMillan, which comes as no surprise, of course. Like, I'm curious, what has he brought to the team and that locker room in terms of experience and consistency and leadership? 
Yeah, no, I think you hit the head, uh, nail on the head right there. Uh, you know, the f- first thing he did was he just he was unbelievably consistent with his message, um, and we're able to have a little success right after he took over. I think we won our, our first eight games, um, and so guys really started buying into that message, um, and just his demeanor. Uh, he, he's very, uh, very confident uh, and very consistent with his message, and, and, and you know the guys got behind him from day one. Travis Schlank is joining us. You know, Travis, you mentioned that there used to be this perception that maybe our guys, our younger guys, were concerned about what was ending up on the stat sheet and maybe their personal performance. You know, you have these things, like these perceptions. I'm kind of curious, when the team has a run, like the run you just had, do you get the sense maybe that the perception is changing really quickly and that now maybe guys around the league see what you did and might start thinking, you know what, that's exactly the kind of place where I need to be or want to go to if I want to have a chance to win a title. Do you feel like that perception is changing that way? Yeah, no, I, de- I definitely think that's true. Listen, you know, when, when guys make moves in the NBA, um, you know, to different teams, I mean, let's be honest, the first, the first driving factor is money, you know, 90% of the time. Sure. And the, and the second factor is they want an opportunity to win. Um, so anytime that you can show that your organization can be successful in the postseason, that that's a positive. So, you know, the fact that we were able to get to the Western or Eastern Conference final, excuse me, you know, I've said a couple of times, it kind of put us back on the NBA map of relevancy, you know, being in the lottery four years in a row, um, you know, <laughs> players, free agents, you know, they're, they're only looking at you if you have money for them. But, you know, when you're a franchise that can get in the playoffs and get deep in the playoffs, um, and hopefully we'll be able to do that consistently moving forward, you know, you start looking at guys that maybe are out there trying to win as opposed to tr- looking for the payday. Right. You mentioned when you got to the finals of the West and then you corrected yourself. I understand why that might happen. You spent a lot of time at Golden State. You had a lot of success there. In fact, you mentioned Draymond Green. I want to ask you about that. If we were to go back to your time there, you're credited with the guy who identified Draymond Green. So what did it mean to you to see him win another gold medal and to continue to have the career that he's had? Yeah, no, I was uh, speaking with another uh, executive last night and you know, Draymond was uh, was at the game with his medal on around his neck, and you know, you know, the guy's going to be a first ballot Hall of Fame player. When you think about a kid drafted, you know, in the second round, you know, he's got multiple defensive player of the years, multiple time All Star, three championships, and now two gold medals. Um, you know, it's just, it's just really proud of what he's been able to accomplish because you look back and think about, you know, what. Uh, what people were saying about him going through the draft process, you know, who's he going to guard, you know, is he too heavy, um, you know, what's he do? Uh, and the answer to the first one is he can guard everybody. He guards one through five. Um, and, you know, what's he do on the floor? He, he controls the game with his ability to defend um, and then to make plays on the offensive end for others with his uh, passing ability. I mean, he's, he's got one of the highest basketball IQs of guys that I've been around. So extremely proud and happy for him for all the success he's had. So really quick, as a follow, I'm kind of curious. Like when you saw him and you evaluated him, obviously there was a lot to like, and you knew that he was a guy that could really help your team. But what did you really see when you saw him? I mean, did you see a first ballot Hall of Famer? Did you see a guy who could start or play ten years in the league? Like, what were your expectations? Well, I'll be honest with you. Uh, we had three picks that year, and he's the third guy we chose. So I don't think that we saw <laughs> saw so, saw so what happened. <laughs> we might like they might like pretend like we did, but. <laughs> that, that wouldn't be the truth. But one thing that really stands out to me about, um, you know, Draymond is he came in for a, a workout, pre-draft workout, um, and it was, uh, you know, one of six players, and they're all, you know, wing players. And at the time, people were trying to figure out, like I said, what, who's he going to guard? Is he going to be able to guard threes on the perimeter? And we were, they were doing one closeout drill where he blocked like six corner threes, um, you know, closing out from the lane line in a row. It was just unbelievable. And at that point, I think our whole group thought, all right, this guy's going to find a way to figure it out. Um, and so that, that one drill just really stood out in the process that he, he'd be able to guard multiple positions. I think that's a great story. One more thought. When you and I spoke back in June, we talked about John Collins, and you made the point that he was, quote, the heart and soul of your team. And a quote. Now, he was your first pick as GM there. How much has he grown as a player since he first arrived? And what does that extension mean to you and to the team? 
Yeah, you know, being able to to wrap John up long term uh, was, was big for us. It was, it was our first thing we wanted to try to accomplish in free agency. Um, you know, he, he's just so important to our team. Uh, you know, he's he's one of the best finishers in the NBA in the lane, obviously in pick and roll situations, but also on offensive rebounds. He's unbelievable, unbelievably quick second jump, um, and then got great touch in there. But he's also, you know, the past three years been almost a 40% three-point shooter. So, you know, having the versatility to be able to space the floor on offense, but then also be able to, you know, be in the pick and roll with Trey um, and to be, you know, on the offensive glass and finish in the lane, you know, that's a very good combination. Um, and, you know, the being able to lock up, lock him up long-term, you know, is, is big for us. And, you know, he's also got an infectious personality. You know, he shows up to work every day, um, and he's always got a smile on his face, and that rubs off on everybody. Gotta love that. The Atlanta Hawks coming off a great, great year. They made it to the conference finals, as mentioned, for the first time since 2015. Their president of basketball operations and GM, Travis Schlenk, my guest. Travis, great to have you on. Thank you so much. It was a great run to watch, and I know you're looking forward to getting it up and doing it again. So nice to talk to you. Thank you very much. All right. Stay safe, bro. I want to say right here and right now, I want to be loud and I want to be proud when I say this. The Dallas Cowboys are the best. The absolute best. Now, yes, they have had the title of America's team ripped from them by the Cleveland Browns. But the Cowboys are not going to go down without a fight. They're no longer America's team, and they haven't been. But they are definitely America's weirdest team. They simply cannot help but be weird in everything they do, which is why I love these guys, because weird is good, and no one is more weird than the Cowboys, so that makes the Cowboys great. And not that the world needs any more additional proof of that, but we got it yesterday in the form of this tweet. The Cowboys' Twitter feed, quote, it's not a setback, and it's not a reason to worry but QB Dak Prescott is planning on getting another MRI. That's an actual tweet. A tweet from at Dallas Cowboys, the official team account. I mean, they're putting out weird, strange tweets like that. Everything about that tweet is weird. I mean, that the hell is that anyway? Is that a poem? Is that a limerick? Is that some sort of haiku? Are those song lyrics? Did somebody finally teach Grandpa Jera how to use that newfangled iPhone? And did he thumb it out in his daily attempt to get everybody to look at him and talk about him? Now, I mean that seriously. I don't mean this rhetorically. The hell is that tweet even about? I'm not sure what they were trying to do, but they failed miserably with whatever it is they were trying to do. There's like a million ways to announce what they were trying to announce without getting everybody to lose their minds. And they picked the one really weird way to get everybody to lose their minds. Because if the team was trying to calm everybody down with that announcement, they did exactly the opposite. That attempt to make it sound like it's not bad news made it sound like it was the worst news ever. Like a tweet that starts with, quote, it's not a setback and it's not a reason to worry. That's about as comforting and relaxing as the phrase, uh, we need to talk. It reads like an attempt to break bad news, even though they're claiming it's not bad news. Sort of like, hey, it's not a setback. It's not a reason to worry, but I've lost all of our retirement funds. Oh, it's not a setback. It's not a reason to worry. It's just that, well, I got fired. It's not a setback. It's not a reason to worry. I just got arrested. Anytime somebody tells you something is not about money, it's about one thing, money. Anytime somebody tells you something is not a setback and not a reason to worry, it's about one thing, it being a setback and you having having a reason to be worried. The Cowboys may as well have just started that tweet off with, before I say anything, do you promise that you won't be mad or upset? Or, first of all, The most important thing here is, I'm fine. Or, okay, what happened was, like I still can't believe an official team account posted that tweet about their franchise quarterback. Quote, it's not a setback, and it's not a reason to worry, but QB Dak Prescott is planning on getting another MRI. 
Like, I stared at that tweet for so long, trying to figure out how the hell that got approved. And I still can't figure it out. Like, if you're a Cowboy fan and you hear that, how are you feeling? Well, I can answer. You're feeling lower than a crippled cricket's ass. Albie, how'd you lose that? I, I, I mean, I feel lower than a crippled cricket's ass that you lost that soundbite. Albie's response to me, like, you notice whenever I bring that up, there's that, that awkward silence where I'm waiting for it to come up and it never does. And then he just picks some other soundbite from Jera. And when I ask him, Albie, like, how do you lose that? He's like, dude, it's mind-blowing. I don't know. Anyway, if you're a Cowboy fan and you read that tweet, that your franchise quarterback has already come back from a gruesome leg injury, and now he's dealing with a shoulder injury that's going to require an MRI. And all that comes in the middle of training camp where the team desperately needs to get its act together and make Mike McCarthy look good, which he doesn't, by the way, if you've been watching Hard Knocks. And you're trying to make Jerry Jones look good for hiring Mike McCarthy, which he doesn't, by the way, because when was the last time that old man looked or sounded fine? And now on top of all of this, your franchise quarterback has a shoulder injury and needs another MRI. But it's not a bad thing. In fact, it's a good thing, right? The way that tweet reads, it's a good thing. No, it's the best thing. MRIs rule especially when you need to get one on your franchise quarterback's throwing shoulder. Hey, you know what would be even better? The way they make it sound anyway. You know what would be better? If that MRI shows structural damage and our guy needs another surgery. Am I right, Cowboy Nation? Hit retweet if I am. Of course it's not good news that your franchise quarterback completely obliterated his ankle last season and fought fiercely to come back from that and may now have a jacked up wing. Of course, that's not good. And of course, you have to issue a statement. But there are a lot better ways to do it than the way they just did it. In fact, any other way than the way they just did it would have been better. Look, I hope this guy's all right. I mean, I mean this truly. I hope that Dak Prescott is all right. Even if the franchise continues to be all wrong. I like Dak. I respect Dak. And I want to see Dak back on the field because football is better when Dak Prescott is leading the Dallas Cowboys. Trust that. I saw this team with Andy Dalton. I saw this team with Garrett Gilbert. I saw this team with Ben DiNucci. I never want to see any of that ever again. Hell, Andy Dalton, Garrett Gilbert, and Ben DiNucci all saw that. And none of them want to see that ever again. But I know what we are going to see a hell of a lot of going forward. A whole hell of a lot of weird. And it all starts at the top. As long as that rich old guy who owns that team is above ground, it's always going to be weird. Because he's always going to be the guy calling the shots. But then again, that's fine by me. Because weird is good. And in the case of America's weirdest team, weird is incredible. How about them weirdos? How about them weirdos? I'll tell you this. At least the Cowboys. How about them weirdos? How about them Cowboys? At least the Cowboys did not get into a brawl and have Dak end up at the bottom of a pile the way the Giants did. But but if they did, I'm sure their Twitter feed would act as if it was the best thing ever. I just hope. That when they're wheeling Dak in for that MRI, Jarrah's not going to dust up like he does when he remembers how dumb it was to run off the guy responsible for the Cowboys' dynasty in the first place, Jimma. Proud to have had the times that we had. We, we, uh, we just had a great experience. Wait, weren't you the guy that said that five other, 500 other coaches could do that? We just had a great experience. Weren't you the guy that said 500 other coaches could win a Super Bowl with this team? We just had a great experience. And then did you not go out there and hire Barry Switzer, who I love? Don't ever get that twisted. And we then a- basically, in effect, then say everything except tell me how my ass tastes when Barra won. We just won. had a great experience. 
I love this song. I mean, <laughs> I mean have you seen this tweet? I, it's just the weirdest thing. This is not a setback. This is nothing to worry about. Anytime somebody says something is not a setback and you have nothing to worry about, best believe it's a setback and you better be worried. I mean, what's next? This is not a setback. This is nothing to worry about. (laughs) I can't even go there. This is not a setback. This is not a worry. I lost 80 million bucks, signed Dennis Schroeder. I will go there. That's not what I was talking about. I will go there because he did lose 80 million. But it's making it sound like it's not a setback or a worry. This is not a setback. This is not a worry. I have a sexually transmitted disease. And you do too. And there is no cure. It's a weird tweet. A really weird tweet. All right, so there you have it. America's weirdest team. Same as they ever were. one 8686 Today's Thursday, which means tomorrow is Friday, which means the big head. And I will talk gambling on the program. Dear Jim, I agree. It's not a setback. And no reason to worry means the exact opposite. Regards, no disrespect intended. Lee and Hartford. Whenever somebody says, hey, listen, no disrespect. No disrespect intended. Somebody is about to get disrespected. That's the whole point. Ken in SA. Hey, Rome. It's not a setback or a reason to worry. Sincerely, Greg Odin's NBA career. It's just a weird tweet. You know, like if Dak needs an MRI, that's not good. We all know that's not good. So why are you tweeting that out by saying, I mean, it literally, that's how they announced it. It's not a setback. It's not a reason to worry, but QB Dak Prescott is planning on getting another MRI. Like I was looking at it thinking that's got to be like a faux account or one of those fake Twitter feeds, but it wasn't. It was the official Dallas Cowboy feed. And not a setback. Not a reason to worry. Uh, I, I, I can't go there. I still can't go there. Man, you know why I can't go there? Because I want to keep this job. <laughs> hey, Jim, it's not a setback. It's not a worry, but Matt in L.A. is on hold. Signed everyone everywhere. <laughs> wow. Hey, Lee in Vancouver, you can go ahead and delete that tweet because I'm never going to read it. PJ, Fleck, PJ, it goes without saying there is no way I would start a conversation with you any other way other than to say, how are you doing today, PJ? We're doing a lead, Jim. Thanks for having us back and on the show. I knew it. I knew it. It's great to have you back on the show. Thanks. It's been about a year since the Big Ten canceled the season last year and then later restarted. What's it like then, PJ, to be where you are right now in camp, knowing that you were just three weeks away from the season opener? Yeah, we're three weeks away from today. I mean, number four Ohio State comes into Huntington Bank Stadium here in Minnesota, and we're fired up about it. Got a great opportunity in front of us. Uh, but I think when you look back on last year, I think everybody's uh, just kind of a breath of fresh air, you know, to be able to start a season and start training camp and kind of get back to some type of normalcy, um, you know, taking every safety precaution possible. But I, it's refreshing. It's refreshing to get back at it. Uh, I give a lot of credit to our players and, and how they've handled everything that's happened, not only in the Twin Cities, but obviously with COVID as well. And I think everybody's ready for some football. We're talking to P.J. Fleck. There's no doubt. Everybody is ready for some football. And since you mentioned your players, let me ask you this. You were asked recently, who was your biggest mentor last year? And you said the team. It was actually the team. Can you lay that out for me? What do you mean by that? And what did you learn from the team last year? Well, I think that, you know, everybody went through a lot last year, whether it was COVID-19 and the social injustice and everything going on, especially here in the Twin Cities. But when you start to learn more from your players and you're probably actually teaching them, you know your culture's working. And we have very, very powerful young people uh, that have a lot of influence, and they're incredibly intelligent, and they want to be incredible men. You know, we have a saying, don't be a better football player than you are a person. And these guys just taught me a lot, how they were able to persevere, how they were able to overcome and learn. 
And uh, I said at the beginning of the year, I wanted to become the most empathetic head coach in America. And I'm not comparing myself to anyone else. I'm not sure if I am, but I know I'm the most empathetical head football coach for this particular football team. And I'm proud of what all of our players have taught me uh, and the relationships we continue to grow. And I know they wanted to do something that would, that would be the change that we all want to see. And I'm really proud of them because I think they did that with our HERE initiative, which is helping end racism with education. And they created that. They, they brought, that, brought that along and, and wanted to make a difference here in the Twin City area. So really proud of them for that. We were talking to P.J. Fleck, the head coach at Minnesota. P.J., you also said that, quote, this is a very important year for us. And to quote, I mean, every year is. I understand that. I know that every year is going to be critical. What is it about this particular year that is so important to you in the program? What do you mean by that? Well, I think you hit it right on the head. I mean, every year is really important, right? I mean, every, every, you know, every year matters more than the year before. It's what have you done for us lately. But I really like this football team. Uh, they're really fun to coach. You know, I think we were picked somewhere like fourth in the West and maybe ninth overall in the Big Ten or something like that. But that doesn't phase this football team. And one thing I'll say is that they're fun to coach. They work incredibly hard. And this is probably the most experienced team I've ever had. Uh, when you talk top from top to bottom, seventh-year players, we've got guys that are still technically freshmen because they were redshirted. Then they have the COVID year, and they're back again this year. They already have two years of playing experience, and they're considered still a freshman going into their third year. When you tell these players we're gonna, that they have to do something, they actually want to do it. It's one of the most mature groups I've ever had. And uh, I'm really proud of the progress they're making. They make coaching and they make the teamwork and the team building a lot of fun. And there's a lot of mature players on this team who have played a ton of football, who have failed, who have grown, who have had success, that have been through a lot. And when you get people in a room that's a team that have all been through a lot, all good, all bad, but you put them all together, uh, that's a pretty dangerous team. And, uh, you know, we got a lot of work to do. Uh, we have a tough schedule, and we just got to keep getting better uh, today than we were yesterday. We're talking to P.J. Fleck. All right, so let me ask you about a couple of these guys. What about your quarterback, Tanner Morgan? You've talked about what he means to the team in terms of being the heartbeat of the team. His father, Ted, passed away this summer from brain cancer. I'm curious, what was it like to go through that with Tanner, and then what has he shown you in the way he's dealt with that? Well, first of all, I mean, you know, Tanner's a tremendous uh, competitor um, on the field and off the field. Uh, he's the spirit of this team. He's the heartbeat of this team. He's a leader. He shows a ton, a ton of courage and, and poise, and that's no different in his personal life. Unfortunately, we lost Ted, his dad, and I've got a chance to know Ted for about seven years because Tanner was committed to us when we were at Western Michigan and um, got to know him really well. And one thing I'll say is that, you know, we see a lot of things happen with young people. You know, a lot of people, their grandma, their grandpa, their mom, their dad, their brother, their sister, their aunt, uncle pass away. And we have 130 players. Every day you're dealing with something that's tragic somehow some way in somebody's life and i've never had a parent though pass away and it truly affect the entire football team like ted morgan did but that's just a credit to who tanner is and what ted had taught tanner and the type of family the morgans are with his mom pat and uh you know the legacy she'll continue to carry on that 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 ted left and tanner will do the same but they're a special family he's a special person his response mechanism has always been incredible on the field, and it's been impeccable off the field as well. We can all learn a lot from him. I think the response itself that you just gave us, PJ, really is something. But if I could even elaborate on that further, it's, it's amazing that somebody that young would go through something like that and have that kind of response. Tanner himself said, quote, we're really process-driven, and we have to change our best on a daily basis and come together, end of quote. I mean, for somebody to go through something like that and then – come out the other end and make a statement like that as a head coach, when you have a quarterback and he goes through that and he talks about the process in such a way, how much pride is there in that for you? Well, this is a life program, Jim, period. This is not a football program. This is a life program. And there's going to be a lot of things that happen in these young people's lives that are way more important than football. And Tanner is going through that. But we also talk about everything's important. If we're going to put the energy and put the time in. Everything deserves a ton of attention, and including football. But Tanner is, is built to be able to find a way to beat it better today than you were yesterday. And then tomorrow will come, but win today. And he's been able to do that. And he, he's got an incredible response mechanism. Uh, he's, he's what this team is all about. And he's an ultimate connector. He's deep in his faith. His religion is incredibly important to him. And I think that's what carried him through this really, really difficult time as well. 
We are talking to P.J. Fleck. All right, so really quickly, as I mentioned, and you did as well, Ohio State, September 2nd. You're three weeks away from that. Every day is important. Everything is important. Every game is important. But what's that do in terms of getting the attention of everybody involved? You've got a top five team coming to your place in prime time, and it's happening in about three weeks. What does that do in terms of the focus, not only right now, but also through the entire offseason and in camp, knowing that that challenge is right there out of the box? Yeah, one thing we do, everything we can to stress in our program is not allow it to go up and down, up and down. You know, you get really hyped for a single game. You got to, you got to find a way to win all twelve, and that's why there's only twelve of them. You got to find a way, no matter where they put teams on your schedule. If you want to win a championship, you have to do three things. You have to start the season fast. You have to accelerate in the middle of the season, and you have to finish strong. And it doesn't matter where you play teams. You're going to play the best of the best. You're going to play a nine-game conference schedule. You're going to play really good teams out of conference. So it doesn't matter where they put them on your schedule. You have to find a way to start fast, accelerate middle, and finish strong. We obviously open with the number four team in the country. And we know how good they are. We know the tradition. We know the history. We know what they've done over the last decade. We know how good they are. Ryan Day is one of the best coaches in the country. They have some of the best players in the country. But right now, we're three weeks out from game, game time. We have to get better as a football team. And this team is having so much fun practicing. Practices are hard but they are having fun practicing. And we said, listen, we want you to practice like pros. When we go out there, practice like pros. And then go play like kids. And we get a time to play 12 games. We want to let it rip for 12 games. No matter who we play, we have to find a way to be at our best when we have those opponents in front of us. PJ, one last thought. You're talking about your guys getting better on a daily basis, and this is a message you want to hammer in. You and I had a conversation on another podcast that I do. I'm curious, as the head coach, how do you go about changing your best on a daily basis? What is your process, personally, for getting a little bit better every single day? Well, it's exactly the same as the players. You give everything you possibly have in every area to everyone inside the organization and influence as many people as you possibly can. And then tomorrow, find a way to do it in a better way. You know, this team is really unique, and the coaches and the players, the blend of it is, is really special in my opinion. And we have a saying, which you've heard me say before, bad teams, nobody leads, average team coaches lead, and elite teams, players lead. This is a player-led team. It's so fun to come to work every single day. But when you have bad teams, they, they resist change. Right? When we talk about changing your best tomorrow, bad teams resist change. They don't want anything to do with it. Average teams, you have to convince them to. They'll eventually get there, but the coaches have to lead, and they have to convince the players to do that. And eventually they'll come around, but usually it's too late. The elite team is the players' lead. And when they have to do something, they want to do something. And that inspires you as a coach to even work harder in every area of the program to make sure that every stone is turned over, period. And that's what we, we do every single day. Uh, I, I do every, as much as I can to have my own uh, private time and personal time in the morning and at night. Um, you know, there's not a lot of it uh, during training camp, but you got to find time to, to make yourself better, uh, not only, you know, with football, but in your personal life as well. All right, so i got to ask as a quick follow-up. When you get that private time, and it's so hard for you to get that private time, what do you do with that private time? Is that meditation? Is that reading? Is that studying? What do you do with that private time in order to get better? Yeah, it's definitely meditation. It's definitely maybe eight minutes closing your eyes. Um, I, I listen to, a, you know, I have my Calm app like everybody else has. Uh, I'm big into the Calm app. Uh, so, I mean, I have to be able to have that certain time. Uh, I'm into bike riding, which I think we talked last time. So, you know, I have my racing bike in the morning and do everything I can to, to be on that, um, you know, almost every single day. I can't say every single day, but almost every single day. And that's my time uh, to get myself right and to be able to collect all your thoughts for the entire day. And then I think the drive home is still important. You know, I live far enough away where I get a 20-minute drive and, I think that's really important to unwind and, and a lot of thoughts go in your head and then make sure those thoughts get the paper uh, before you go to bed. And then, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have any problem sleeping. Uh, we don't sleep long, so we don't have any problem going to bed and waking up. I like it. I like all of that so much. P.J. Fleck is the head coach of Minnesota, and they've got their season opener coming up September 2nd against Ohio State. P.J., great to have you back. I always appreciate the relationship and all the conversations we have. Thanks so much. Yeah, I appreciate it. Roll the boat, Scotty Mom. Go Gophers. Thanks, Jim. Let's go to Houston. Jerome. What's going on with you, Jerome? How you doing, Vance Mack? Thank you so much for the vine. Um, I wanted to I'm gonna be as quick as I can. I'm happy you're back. Um I won't sing, but I was gonna say there ain't no sunshine when you're gone. And uh as far as the seven and a half pound, uh, you might have revealed it, but I'm up here in northern Colorado, 
absolutely in paradise fishing. And uh, I tell you, it is amazing. I'm glad. I know you enjoyed northern Wisco, but northern Colorado, ooh, wow, it's amazing. Anyway, keep geese, deer, any creatures off of your Wisco, northern Wisco backyard, black pepper. Just standard table black pepper. You want to put it heavy around the perimeter and then sparingly on the whole property. The thing is, black pepper will not harm your yard. It will not harm your grass. But any critter that comes around there, and you know, geese and deer or any other critters, raccoons or whatever, they use their nose much more better than we do. And uh, sorry about that truck noise. I'm, uh, like I say, in northern Colorado. But all of these critters use their nose to do anything. And the only reason they're crapping in your yard is because they smell their crap in your yard. So simple black pepper, I guarantee you, they will never come back again. And I love you. Show them out, bro. First of all, that guy, there's nobody more shocked than Jerome that he was allowed to finish that call than Jerome. Good night now!